This is Saturday Afternoon Fever in which uh, we talk about our sporting failures. Lawrence, we're about to be joined by a guest. Good afternoon. The suburban footballer has taken the world by storm, Matthew Hardy, and it is the creation of the great Tom Seeger, one of the finest stand-up comedians I know, and he is the suburban footballer. If you haven't encountered it yet, get onto Facebook and have a look because uh, if you're into suburban footy, this is for you. And uh, Tommy joins us today. G'day, Tommy. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, gentlemen. Very well indeed. Now, Tommy, you, I believe you're a captain coach and I believe that you're looking for a new club in 2022. Yeah, look, me and my uh, current club have decided to part ways. Uh, it was a mutual decision. Um, look, I thought I uh, should have been getting more game time and uh, perhaps get more opportunities elsewhere and they thought perhaps I uh, should have stolen the valuables bag or uh, taken a <laughs> swing at the president at our trivia night. So, look, I... I think we're both ready for change. Uh, sorry, sorry to be laughing at your predicament there. Now, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, Tommy. Ooh, geez, where do I start? Uh, look, I'm 43 years old. Uh, I, think I've, I think I've still got my best footy ahead of me. Uh, I think I'm a very loyal person. Um, I've played for 17 clubs in 17 years. Um, in that 17 years, I've played a total of 15 games. So averaging just under one game a year. Uh, all reserves games, and I'm yet to play in the uh, 2 o'clock game. But I've, I've got a really good feeling that 2022 uh, is uh, going to be my year. I'm, uh, look, I'm really starting to hit the straps. So I've, uh, I've missed a lot of footy. In the past three years, due to a chronic uh, case of chlamydia that I picked up at the 2018 footy trip to Thailand, but I'm confident that I've now got the right antibiotics and uh, that little nightmare is behind me. Uh, my preferred position is on the bench, or as I like to call it, the rotation station. Um, I like to sit there until the sting's gone out of the game and uh, yeah, then, then uh, usually come on late in the final term uh, as a bit of an impact player, hopefully get a few easy junk time possessions without getting any real body contact. So, uh, look, work smart, not hard, boys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you, I think your phone's going to just go berserk when this discussion's over. Uh, when you are on the field... Where where do you play your best footy? Yeah, great question. Uh, look, I reckon my best position is a uh, look a goal kicking back pocket player. So instead of manning up, I, I like to play fairly loose and and drift forward. Look, just one example. In the last game of the year, I uh, I actually left my man late in the game, went forward and kicked a kicked a sausage roll, which I was pretty happy with. And I tell you what, I let my opponent know about it. But um, look, admittedly, uh, he did kick thirteen that day. But I um, look, I still think I played my role. <laughs> oh, I love your kind of footballer, just playing loose and looking for a sausage roll up forward. Tell us, Tommy, what are some of your career highlights? Oh, look, that's an easy one, mate. I was, uh, I was a very good junior footballer, a bit of a child prodigy, if you will. I, I was awarded the under-13s league best and fairest while playing for the mighty Wodonga Bulldogs. Uh, we actually uh, won the flag that year, and I kicked 12 in the grand final and got best oh, on. So that was obviously a huge uh, highlight and a very proud moment for me and my family. Nice. Uh, unfortunately, a couple of days later, they found out that I'd used a fake birth certificate and I was actually 22. So, um, <laughs> we, were, so we, were, we were stripped of the flag and me of all my trophies and uh, me and the family had to leave town in disgrace. And look, that, that obviously wasn't such a proud day for the family. And look, in hindsight, I had my time again as uh, as I was playing under 13s. I probably shouldn't have driven to the game, uh, <laughs> or at least at least parked around the corner. But uh, you live and you learn, boys. That's what footy's all about. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, what, what, you're on you're, you're on the <laughs> you're on the lookout for a new club. Obviously, what can you what can you offer any interested teams? Uh, look, 
Boys, I'm just a, just a good club man. Um, look, I, I, I might not have played a, a heap of footy in the last 17 years, but one thing I can guarantee is that I will always give 100% of my week's wage over the bar on a Saturday night. And, and that's a non-negotiable, boys, 100%. If I wake up on a Sunday morning and I haven't emptied my savings account, I haven't, I haven't done my job. Um, some people sponsor the club. Some like to buy raffle tickets. I like to support the club by pissing my whole wage across the bar. Um, another thing I can offer is that I'll, I'll uh, always organise a footy trip. Um, I remember one year I organised a footy trip to Bali. Uh, I, uh, I organised all the fundraising. We had 25 players all paid up. We had our passports. We met at the airport. Everyone was pumped. Um, but then we all looked at our tickets. Uh, turns out I'd, um, I'd fucked up and accidentally got us all flights and a week's accommodation in Ballarat, not Bali. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I tell you what, the boys were pretty pissed when they found out that uh, they'd spent six grand each to start the North Ballarat caravan park. <laughs> but I, I tell you what, though, the bottle shop and the Thai massage down the road got a fair workout. <laughs> but I, um, I reckon deep down, although a lot of the boys still aren't talking to me, they really appreciated the experience that uh, country Victoria has to offer. Absolutely. It's lovely to get a sports massage on a footy trip. Uh, now, the most important thing is use in, around, in and around a club. Any tips for young players? Uh, I've got hundreds of them. Um, I think as a veteran and a legend of local footy, it's important that I share my wealth of knowledge with the next generation of players. Here's just a few of them. Uh, never pay the bond on a footy trip. It's, it's a no-win situation. If, if you don't get your bond back, you lose a couple of grand and no-one wants that. And if you do get your bond back, that means you've had a shit footy trip and your teammates haven't gone hard enough. So, <laughs> look, I don't know what's worse. Um, another one, never go front and centre. Like, never go front and centre. Everyone goes front and centre. So, you just hang out the back and sure, it only goes there once every couple of hundred times. But when it does, you'll be all on your own while every other dickhead's gone front and centre. Bingo, bango, easy kick. Uh, another one, your coach will always say, you never get hurt if you go in hard. Absolute crock of shit, boys. You always get hurt when you're going hard. You never get hurt if you're standing out in the wing by yourself or sitting on the bench by yourself or even better, sinking cans on the hill. You're never going hard, boys. There's absolutely nothing to be going. And finally, probably the last one, and it doesn't matter what level of footy you play, it's important to act professional. And that's why I always make sure I have at least two hours sleep the night before a game and, um, and, and three hours if it's a final. And if it's a granny, very strict rule, only alcohol, no drugs the night before a granny. You, you've got to make sacrifices, boys. You really do. But um, I reckon that's about it, boys. A race three in Wangaratta is about to kick off in five. So I better jump on the old phone account, eh? Beautiful work, Tommy. That is the Suburban Footballer. You can catch him on Facebook and I highly recommend it. And good luck for next year. We hope you find a new club. Good luck. Thanks, boys. I think he's doing... Uh, online pep talks, but he's also doing live ones back when the world begins again. On that Facebook page, his excellent footy philosophy is extraordinaire. Get into it. So, Lawrence, we're about to be joined by a guest, a national news icon by the name of Joe Hall. Now, she, oh, fantastic. she is a, a journalistic stalwart. For 40 years, she's been gracing our Australian TV screens. And sometimes, if you're international, you might even see her, her stories uh, shown on, on the TV screens of other countries. So I've witnessed that myself. Anyway, not only is she a brilliant uh, journalist come newsreader, a uh, very popular person, but uh, and we've both had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of times, but she's also, boo, a Collingwood supporter. Oh, no. Yeah, so everybody's got their flaws, but we're prepared to tolerate some of them. And we welcome you, Joe Hall. Thanks for joining us on Saturday Afternoon Fever. Oh, look, it's lovely to be here. Hello, guys. 
Hello, Joe. Uh, when Matt was giving you an what introduction, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, be still my beating heart. But when I found out you're a Collingwood supporter, it stilled immediately. How did you become a Collingwood supporter, a woman of your class? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a minute. And I've got all my teeth. Um, <laughs> and no criminal um, record. <laughs> um, well, look, it, it, I really had no hope from the get-go because my parents' first date as teenagers was to a Collingwood football game. So um, I had no chance. And I'm told that I crawled around Victoria Park in my nappies. You, okay. you wouldn't be the first. I, I've, I've been to the football with a couple of grown men that were barrack for Collingwood in the uh, 80s. Yeah. So how no, deeply entrenched a Collingwood supporter are you? Of course, you were right in your prime as a Collingwood supporter in that period where they played in the 77 grand final. There was two, then lost 79, 80, 81. So lost four premierships in five years. How was that? Look, Oh, look, as a child, I mean, I just remember going to that many finals, prelim finals, and coming home from the G in tears. And it oh. was, yeah, I mean, it was heartbreaking as a Collingwood supporter as a young woman. I mean, they've given value for money, I guess, over the years. But, you know, it was just the highs and lows of being a Collingwood supporter. And, I mean, you know, you mentioned kind of the 70s. I think it was the 70s. John Greening was my favourite player. I was, you know, um, obsessed with him. And, of course, that was the terrible incident. I was there at Moorabbin Oval when um, – St Kilda's Jim O'Day did something you shouldn't and of course that ended pretty much John Greening's career and I was absolutely shattered so um yeah and then the the journey's home from the G in tears because we you know <laughs> and it was always Carlton you know just for some reason it seemed like it was always Carlton yes that was a great rivalry <laughs> 79 and 81 it was Carlton it was always Carlton <laughs> now Joe I'm I wouldn't. Yes. I wouldn't know about your rivalries between, um, you know, Collingwood and other teams that mattered. Because as a Saints supporter, the first eight, the first eight years that I broke for them, they won the wooden spoon six times. Wow. The, the shining light was Trevor Barker, the golden-haired wonder boy, and he got all of us Saints people, especially little kids, especially I think boys who wanted to become him. You know, through those dark years. But then, and then Lawrence here, who's an Essendon supporter, he, you know, his heart was won by Timmy Watson. Um, John Greening, John Greening, you've already mentioned, but uh, who won your heart as a Collingwood fan? <laughs> oh well, him, of course. Um, if you're referring to have I dated any Collingwood players, I did Ooh. go on a couple of dates with Bill Pickin. Billy Pickin and Joe Hall. Yeah. yeah, number twenty-five. Number twenty-five. What, he took what a lot. great mark. Billy Pickin was. He was an awesome mark and he was quite a lovely guy as well. Um, I was, I remember I was at RMIT in my journalism course mm -hmm. and the assignment or the thesis was that we had to go and interview um, an athlete, a sports star. And I thought, mm, quite fancy Billy Pickens, so <laughs> I might do him. <laughs> <laughs> so I rang Collingwood and teed it all up and I remember meeting him at a bar in the city and, um, yeah, we did the interview and went on a few more dates. <laughs> he he even cooked me dinner one night. He lived in Kew in an apartment in Kew, I think with another Collingwood footballer, and I, I remember going there for dinner years ago. And you know what? I actually caught up with him not so long ago. I'm thinking it might have even been as recent as last year at a Collingwood football club function at um at the MCG prior to uh, – no, actually it was in Melbourne – uh, MCC function, but a whole lot of Collingwood players were there and it was that beautiful, fancy lunch that you go to. And, yeah, oh, yes. Bill was there and he came up and said, hi. <laughs>
Hello. Uh, of course, uh, for those people that don't live in Melbourne, Q is up the hill from what was Collingwood's home ground of Victoria Park, up Studley Park Road into really quite wealthy territory too. So mm. that would have mm. been a nice place and a great but view a of Melbourne from Q. have ended up living there. Um, you know, Heath, Heath Shore and um, Alan Didak. I think how Alan Didak and Heath Shore. Oh, no, that's where they crashed the cars. Um. <laughs> <laughs> or they didn't. They Initially, they said they didn't do any such thing, of yeah, course. exactly. Oh. May I ask, uh, I am from Glen Waverley, Joe. Oh, never mind. Yeah, Joe Hall. And, uh, and, and the book that this podcast... I know this about you. The, well, the book that this podcast is based on is uh, set in my family home, the suburban utopia of Glen Waverley. When I was a kid, I was uh, entranced and fascinated by a lady who I think got her start writing for the Waverley Gazette. I did indeed. Actually, that was my first um, job in journalism. In fact, it's my only other one apart from my job at Channel Nine. Um, I uh, was desperate to get a cadetship, and uh, I, I came from um, well Hawthorne, obviously born and bred a Hawthorne girl. But my parents mm. lived in Doncaster, Box Hill, for for a time, and I just went to Coonung High School. Um, wasn't a, a, a private school, but cadetships at the Herald Sun in those days only went to children, uh, you know, students from private schools. But so I just kept applying, kept applying everywhere, and eventually I got a job with Leader Publishing, which of course did do the Waverley Gazette and I was thrilled by that and I'm particularly thrilled because at the time there were no magazines you know they've got Domain now and uh, Melbourne Weekly and all those kind of magazines there's Waverley Gazettes was the first and they came out with a magazine called Waverley Woman. That's right. (laughs) That's right the Waverley Woman and you became you are the Waverley Woman. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but it what it was a great magazine because on top of, you know, learning the ropes with journalism and basic things that you have to with which if you answer the five questions, who, what, where, why, how, then you've you've written a story, um, which I did with the newspaper and you'd go out and you'd do your little news stories. I even had the baby page, so I would do what, you know, all the babies that were born <laughs> in the area that week. And so you did everything from make cups of tea to for the editors to kind of editing a page and then doing your, your news stories. But then Waverly Woman came along and that gave you me the opportunity to write feature stories. And um, I always remember my first one and it was about a compulsive gambler who lived in the area. He was. That's big news. In the, that's big news in the burbs, Lawrence. How do you know? Especially, you know, back in the day, of course, it's like, oh, who is the compulsive gambler? Yeah. Everyone would have known. No, do tell Joe. No, it was just, it was actually, it's, it wasn't a funny story. It was really horrible because this guy had, oh. you know, his his wife was a, a school teacher and he had a great job and he had, they had a couple of children, lived in a, one of those beautiful houses in Waverley. Um, they they were, you know, had a great life and he just um, started gambling and it kind of went very downhill from there and he literally lost everything and he was like ended up his marriage and and all of his money and he was living in a one-room bed sitting having his wages garnished to pay back his gambling debt so it was actually very a very serious story but I remember you know I was only like 19 20 at the time so it was quite a big thing to do something like that but it was a really well I might argue with me, Matthew, but it was kind of a classy publication. It was. It sounds classy. It it was classy. And can I ask, that that compulsive gambler, do you and he still write to each other? (laughs) No, I hope he's not listening to this. (laughs) 
He went on to become Christopher Scase. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe, the um, the book uh, and the podcast, it's it's like a rites of passage uh, trip down memory lane, and uh, we deal with a lot of life's firsts. So uh, we've deliberately not given you any warning. Can I just hit you with a series of quick questions, and you can give us the best of your recollection? Oh, God, this okay. All the right. Joe Hall Mad Minute. Here yeah, we go. There's, there's no right or wrong answer here. Of course, and no. we don't know if you're telling the truth. So your first bike. Tell us about your first bike. Um, it was uh, I, oh, I, it was a Malvern Star, I think. Oh, of course. But I wasn't. But, but the first mo- I did own a motorcycle once, quickly, and oh, it did was. You? Yes, and you know why? Because I actually went for the job at the Waverley Gazette. You'll like this story. And when I got to the interview, they said, well, look, this all sounds great. Um, you've got your own transport. You've got a car and your licence. And I said, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> and um, So you can get yourself to stories and things. And, oh, I said, yeah, I do. And, of course, I didn't. And I got the job straight away. So I had to start. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought, I'll get a motorcycle. I'll be able to get around on that. So I went and bought a motorcycle, rode around the paddocks in Doncaster. I thought, yeah, I've got this. I've nailed it. When to go for my first day on the job, got on the bike, and I, by the time I got to Waverley, I was a complete case. My legs, I could barely stand on. I was so terrified. <laughs> I had to walk in on my first day and tell them I'd lied to them, and I actually did. <laughs> <laughs> That's and you know great. what I did? I, I, my mum ended up coming in car, taking me to some of the jobs. <laughs> and then what I became the motorbike. Riding. I had to get my dad to get a trailer on his car and take it back. And I, <laughs> I mean, when you started telling this story, I was picturing Leather Tuscadero, which I think was like, was that yeah. Susie Quattro in Happy Days? That and was I, was picturing, it was. I was picturing Batgirl who had her bat bike. And then oh, suddenly. Yes. You... And the purple leather jumpsuit. Yeah. That's terrific. But no, I don't... I went... It was a motor scooter. Yeah, right. Well, I can't recall any of those people getting their dad to pick up their their bike in, uh, on the back of a trailer, but good work. Um, what about your first kiss? Uh, oh, that was when I was 11 at um, uh, North uh, Box Hill Primary School, and it was literally behind the shelter sheds with the boy there. Who, who was Eric it? Long, Eric Longmuir, and he ended up being my boyfriend all through high school. Oh, lucky Eric. <laughs> oh. Lucky Eric. i tell you what, when uh, you said before that uh, – Waverly Woman and Channel 9 have been your only two jobs. It's a very short CV. And then Eric, <laughs> you like longevity. That's what you do like. She's loyal. I, I am loyal. I am loyal and I do like longevity. Cool. <laughs> uh, uh, what about this? We'll get the last couple here. Your first bad experience with booze. Oh, yes, yeah, so I was 16 and it was to the <laughs> VCE breakup party and I um, drank a whole bottle of Jops on the rocks and my parents had to come and pick me up. And do you know I never had another drink after that till I was 28? <laughs> That's a hangover. Well, Drops on the rocks <laughs> was a an Australian manufactured kind of mixer slash um, alcoholic drink, wasn't it? it was like, yes, yes. I, don't, know, I think uh, it was meant to have it with something. Now. You were, which I learned. <laughs> well, Joe Hall, <coughs> loyal, you like longevity, you're hardworking, and you don't mind getting absolutely blind on drops off the rocks. You got the job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need a license. We'll send you a company car. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for chatting. I hope I wasn't too honest. Well, uh, we're glad that you were. Okay, that'll do us, Lawrence Mooney, for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. 
Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. We're counting on you.